Logging is an interesting, but somewhat depressing topic for me. I love forest preservation, but I do love a good scary story from the woods. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends. Today we're going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange logging horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your stories with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, let us jump right into these creepy, logging horror stories that'll creep you out tonight. The logging company I work for is tasked with clearing a large land for a housing development. While walking the ground, I spot several hickory trees grouped together. I note the location as I plan on taking them for myself over the weekend while everyone else is at home, resting for the previous work week. Some barbecue places in my area will pay good money for a load of hickory. That Saturday, I load my chainsaws and busting mauls in the bed of my truck and head toward the job site. At the entrance, a group of people gathers, protesting the clearing of the land. Save the animals' natural habitat or something. Save the animals' natural habitat or something like that. Those animals don't help me pay the bills, and until they do, I'm clearing it out. The protesters block the entrance. I slowly pull up roll down my window and politely ask them to move. The protesters stand firm. I push down on the gas pedal for a moment, giving one of them a bump with the front of my truck. I continued to do this until they finally decided to move out of my way. I creep into the entrance, continuing to push protesters aside with my truck. The last protester screamed in my window, These trees give us oxygen and provide habitat for thousands of animals. Screw the animals. I said as I spit in her face, quickly driving away before any retaliation could take place. It doesn't take long to find the hickories as I remember their exact location. Ten hickories in all. It's hard work cutting them, busting them up into manageable pieces, loading the truck down, and making several trips from barbecue restaurants to this location. I dread dealing with the rude protesters every trip, but the extra money would be worth it. I downed the first three trees no problem. This old saw I had restored was cutting through the wood like butter. I was ready to lay down the fourth hickory when I got distracted by movement in my peripheral vision. During this distraction, the saw kicks back, almost tearing into my leg. I drop the saw. I look down to see a rip in my jeans where I saw the blade caught it. That was too close, I say aloud my heart racing from the close call. I spin around, ready to scream out profanities and belittle the little jackass protester that distracted me and almost led to the destruction of my leg. To my surprise, no protester was in sight, only a giant buck. Its rack was huge, 14 pointer at least. I'm an avid hunter and I don't think I've ever even seen one this big. If only I had my rifle handy. I'd have a nice head to mount on my wall, and some nice meat for the freezer. Then something unexpected happened. The buck's eyes started to glow red. I investigate them, 
almost hypnotized by the red glow. I was in such a trance, I didn't hear the snap and pop of the now falling tree behind me. The tree glanced off my shoulder and into the side of my knee, collapsing me to the ground. The massive tree was still on top of my leg, pinning me to the ground. I let out a scream that I thought for sure one of the protesters would be able to hear. But after laying on the ground for several minutes in pure agony, it became clear they had not heard me. I began to assess the damage. My jeans were beginning to turn red from the blood. I stick my fingers into the rip previously caused by the chainsaw and rip the jeans. I continue to tear away at the fabric until only the seam connects the lower part of my jeans to the upper part. I roll the jeans up as tightly as possible, the flesh tender to the touch. I get the jeans just above the knee, and I can now see the bone protruding from my skin just below the knee. I get a slightly light head and must turn my head away, the sight of blood and bone sending a sickening feeling through my stomach. I must try hard not to vomit or pass out. I try yelling again. I scream into my voice as hoarse, but no one can seemingly hear me. No one is coming. I can't lay here for two more days, pinned under this tree, waiting for my friends and co-workers to come. I must do something. I plant my free foot on the massive hickory and began to push. The tree trunk starts to rock back and forth with each thrust of my leg. I try this repeatedly for what feels like hours, but I don't have the strength to push it off. I finally give up out of exhaustion. Days turn to night, and I begin to give up hope. I lay on my back staring up at the stars. This would be peaceful if not for the throbbing pain in my lower leg. Finally I pass out. I'm not sure if it was from exhaustion or blood loss, but I welcomed it. I woke up to a sharp pain shooting up my leg. I sit up to find myself surrounded by a pack of coyotes. One gnawed at my exposed bone while another lapped up fresh blood now pouring from my wound. Nipping at my crusted over scabs like I had not eaten in months. A pop sends a shockwave of pain through me as one of the coyotes sinks its teeth through my hard exterior of my bone. A swift kick to the head of one of them sent a few of them in retreat, but they continued to hover around licking the blood from the fur around their mouths, waiting for me to slip back into unconsciousness so they could finish their meal. Not none, assholes. I'm not giving up that easy. The rest of the night was spent trying to roll the massive tree off my leg until I gave out. I would rest for a while and try again, all while keeping the coyotes at bay. Just before sunlight, I heard massive footsteps in the distance that sent the coyotes into a panicked run as they disappeared into the forest. Help. Please help. I try to yell, trying to get the attention of whatever was causing the footsteps. That's when the buck from before appears from behind the trees and walks directly up to me. The buck is standing over me, peering down at me with those glaring red eyes. You did this to me, didn't you? The buck lets out a snort in response to my question. What's next? The buck turned its eyes to the sky as five vultures circled. I'm sorry, I don't want to die. Tears are streaming down my cheeks. I'll quit the logging business. I'll never cut down another tree if I live. Please help me. The buck tilts its head to the side as if it was contemplating whether I should live or die. It lets out another grunt. 
His eyes, red, begin to glow brighter. My light begins to fade as darkness overtakes me. I wake up several days later in the hospital, part of me hoping that it was only a nightmare, but the notion is ripped away at my absence of my leg, amputated from the knee down. After recovering, I went home and sold by chainsaws, busting mauls, axes. I even sold my wood-burning grill and got charcoal. I'm not sure where the local barbecue restaurants will get their wood now, but it sure as hell won't be from me. The crew unloaded the last piece of equipment and prepared to clear out the 100 acres of timber. My boss, Larry, has been trying to buy this land for years from an old lady that refused to sell. Over the years, the two began to be very hateful towards each other. I went in with him on many attempts to talk to this lady about selling the land. She politely told Larry to leave. When he refused and continued pitching his proposal, she disappeared into her house. Larry paced in front of the door a few times, visibly aggravated at her disappearance and the fact that she wouldn't hear him out. A few moments later, she came back to the door with a broom in hand. Leave, or I'll hit you. Ma'am, we both know you're not going to hit me. Please hear me out. A loud thump grabs my attention as I look up to see the business end of the broom go across Larry's head. He blocks the second shot with his forearm before fleeing off the porch and back to his truck. A few months go by. The old lady, I found out her name was Grace, passed away. Someone broke into her house and put a knife to her throat. The police described a brutal scene of furniture overturned, blood-soaked carpet, and the lifeless eyes of Grace staring back at them. The knife had cut so deep that it almost decapitated the poor woman. After months of investigation, the case went cold with very little evidence being left behind from the killer. The bank took possession of her land. Larry contacted the bank and purchased the land from them. Of course, the thought of Larry committing this gruesome crime has crossed our minds. It seems out of the ordinary for Larry. He seems like a genuinely nice guy outside of work. 100 acres is enough for him to make a nice profit, but... Hardly enough to kill over, right? Other than the half acre the woman's house sat on, the rest was nothing but forest. 99 acres of timber for the crew to harvest and sell. Despite the rumblings of the crew and the town thinking Larry would do something so brutal, our crew eagerly began working and clearing the timber. For the first week, everything went as expected. When the team and I started to notice things we couldn't explain. Small things at first. All five of the gas canisters that held the fuel for the chainsaws were tipped over, causing the fuel to leak out into the ground. Plug wires removed from the spark plug, a cut pull cord on a chainsaw, several things that would halt work but not stop us from fixing the problem and continuing within minutes. Things quickly escalated. We returned from lunch and someone had drained the coolant from our knuckle boom loader. I had inspected the machine myself that morning and knew that there were no leaks, and it was full of coolant. That caused the loader to overheat and break down, effectively stalling our work for weeks until it was fixed. Once again, things escalated even more. My coworker Billy and I worked together for almost a decade cutting timber. 
we had become close friends. Our wives were friends as well, and we hung out quite often outside of work. Knowing him well makes what he did next out of the ordinary. On this day, everything seemed normal. One luxury we didn't have in the forest was a working restroom. Sometimes we must do what we must. Billy grabbed a roll of toilet paper from his truck and went out into the dense trees to do his business. Upon return, Billy appeared to be on edge. He looked pale white and only responded with, It's nothing. Everything is fine. When asked if he was okay, he then left for the day complaining of an upset stomach, only to call Larry later to inform him he was resigning from his job. This wasn't like Billy. He loved his career. It's all he knew. I tried calling only to get voicemail or send him a text and get no response. As strange as this was, we continued without him. After a hard morning of work, the crew went to a local restaurant for lunch, but I decided to save a little money that day and bring my own. I stayed at the job site to eat my bologna sandwich and a bag of Cheetos. I sat down on a stump and bit into my sandwich, regretting my decision to go with plain white bread instead of the sweet Hawaiian. The sound of a rock hitting the ground grabs my attention. I look up to see the rock bounce a few times and come to a rest at the base of the stump I sat on. What the hell? My thoughts were interrupted by a second rock being launched into my forehead. I looked around and I didn't see anyone. Real funny. Throwing rocks is kind of childish. I looked around, expecting to see one of the guys returning from their lunch. Another rock collides with my chest. This time I noticed what direction the stone came from. I stand up, peering in the direction I believe the rock had been thrown. I see some slight movement coming from behind a tree. I slowly walk up to the tree expecting to round it and see one of the jackass employees I work with screwing with me. Instead, I see the fiery eyes of Grace staring back at me. I stumble backward at the sight of the dead woman, my foot catching a tree root and sending me to the ground on my back. Grace loosened her tense jaw to speak. Get off my land. Don't touch another tree, or I'll haunt you for the rest of your life. Then, I'll be waiting for you in death. I pick myself up off the ground quickly and run back to my truck, hop in and peel out, never looking back. More guys left after I did, all having similar stories of their own, but Larry refused to pull the crew and equipment off the land. He paid for it, it was his now, and he would make his money from it. Two months after I quit, what was left of the crew showed up one morning to find Larry hanging from one of the trees that was set to be cut down. Cops were called, and, in many years, nobody knows if it was actually murder or a suicide. Officially, it was ruled as a suicide, though. If I was a betting man, I would put money on Grace having something to do with it from beyond the grave. One thing I was sure of, when Larry took his final breath, I know exactly who is there waiting for him. I downed the rest of my cheap beer, the bitter taste filling my mouth before sliding down my throat. My buzz is intensifying as I close my eyes and lean back in my chair, listening to the pops and crackles coming from the campfire. Cynthia, my wife, sits beside me, using the dim glow of the flame to catch up on her favorite horror author's newest book. The peacefulness doesn't last as the distant rustling of feet close in on our campsite, 
followed shortly by our 17-year-old daughter, Trina, and her boyfriend, Cole. It's getting dark. You two don't stray too far from the camp. Don't want you getting lost. While that statement is true, I was more worried about them doing other things. If Cole is within eyesight, I can ensure his manhood stays in his pants and out of my daughter. Cole opens the cooler and pulls out a beer. Grab me one, I said, remembering I had just polished mine off. He tosses it to me as he joins us around the fire. So, Cole, what are your plans for the future? I'm going to welding school, aerospace welding, to, to be specific. That's great. You may have picked a winner here, Trina. We aren't from around this part of the country. Sequoia National Forest is just one of the many stops we have been making for the past few weeks toward the west side of the country. Something my wife and I have wanted to do for quite a while now. Aerospace is a big business where we come from, so his decision makes perfect sense. What is that? Trina points to a light in the distance. The light slowly grows as it approaches our campsite. Probably the flashlight of a park ranger, Cynthia said. Oh crap, I blurted out. Cole, put the beer back in the cooler. Chew some gum or something. Anything to get that smell off your breath. The last thing I needed on this west side tour was to be arrested for letting underage drinking take place. Cole didn't get the chance to hide his beer before the light started overtaking the camp. What the hell? These are the only words I can manage, and the light becomes blinding. In a matter of seconds, the light engulfs my vision. And that's all I remember before waking up in my chair to a hysterical Cynthia on the phone with the emergency services about our missing children. A search party has been out several hours looking for Trina and Cole. At first, I thought my wife was being overly dramatic, but now I'm starting to worry. My baby is missing, missing in an unfamiliar place to us all. I have no idea where to begin looking. I feel helpless depending on the park rangers and rescue searchers. I should be out looking for her. My thoughts were interrupted by Trina stumbling out of the woodline and collapsing at the ranger's feet. After receiving an IV to help her recover from dehydration, Trina began to explain to authorities the series of events that unfolded after the bright light overtook the campsite. The light was so bright, I, I couldn't see anything. I'm not sure how it didn't blind us. The light only lasted a few seconds, and I was left looking for Cole with blurred vision. I yelled out for him, but he did not answer. After a while, my vision cleared and I peered around, only seeing my parents passed out in their chairs. I yelled out for Cole again, and this time I got an answer. Cole was standing at the edge of the tree line, beckoning to him. After checking out my parents, making sure they weren't dead, I ran to him, but he seemed different. His eyes seemed glazed over and lifeless. His voice never changed in tone but I followed him anyway as he took my hand and guided me through the forest. I asked him several times where he was taking me, and he never answered. His grip would tighten around my hand and would continue moving forward. It felt like we walked at least a mile before stopping at an opening of a cave. The ranger pulled me aside while not interrupting her and told me he had a strange feeling. He was familiar with this area, and there were no caves within a mile of our map. In fact, there were no caves within several miles of our camp. I didn't want to go in. I tried to turn and run, but something about the cave would not allow that. No matter how much my mind protested, 
My legs pulled me forward into the cave. The cave was narrow and so dark, now I couldn't see a single thing in front of me, not even my own hand. I knew Cole was still in front of me though, leading the way. I could feel his presence even though I couldn't see him. After walking deep into the cave, I snap out of whatever trance that brought me this far. I reach a shaky hand into my pocket and pull out my phone. The screen lights up and I press down on the flashlight icon, lighting up the small passage I had been walking down. The light illuminated the wall to my right, where I saw thousands of spiders covering every inch of the wall. I shine the light on the cave ceiling into the wall to my right. More spiders. Every one of them staring at me with those tiny black eyes. I can feel their legs crawling on me. I swat one away, then another. It feels like hundreds of them crawling on me at once. I pull my hoodie off and throw it. I shine my phone light on my body, but I don't see any spiders. The phantom crawling sensation begins to fade, but at the edge of the phone light, I spot something else. Cole? Is that you? My light illuminates Cole's face. He stares back, but it's not the same Cole that I'm used to seeing. He stares at me with eight black eyes. He opens his mouth, revealing two black fangs. His legs hovered above the ground as eight more long, slender legs sprouted from his back and propelled him upward. Cole let out a wet hiss, and drool sprayed into my face. I dropped my phone at a pure panic and sprinted through the dark. I can feel the squish of spider guts as I place my hands on the walls to help guide my way. I trip a few times in the dark, but adrenaline and fear won't allow me to stop. Finally, I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I don't stop until I burst from the cave. The warmth from the sun graces my skin. It was close to midnight when I entered the cave. It felt like only an hour had passed, but the presence of the sun told me it was much more. I continue to run in the direction I believe camp to be in. Then I spot the park ranger. Everything from that point on is a blur. Have you found Cole yet? Trina asks. I'm afraid not. Cynthia wraps her arms around Trina, trying to comfort her. At dawn, the rescue worker finally emerges with Cole in hand. Trina's phone in his pocket. They rushed a lifeless body to the emergency room. The doctors couldn't find anything wrong with Cole except a small incision in the back of his neck that took a few stitches to close. After he awoke, he was questioned by the police. He doesn't seem to remember anything after that bright light. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true logging horror stories. Plus an extra fun one at the end there. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please be sure to give this episode a 5-star rating, as that helps me grow over there, and it's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit the subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them almost every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'm always looking for fresh, new, scary stories to share. 
if you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I'd love to know in the comments down below what story was your favorite tonight. I know it's always so hard to pick one, but it does help me pick better stories for the future. If you would like to support The Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and potentially giving us a 5-star rating on podcast platforms, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, face masks, hoodies, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Don't forget to join me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.